What is the future of work, and how will we develop a workforce capable of meeting the growing demands of our greatest challenges while also providing pathways to all learners? We're thrilled to be supporting the World of Work Summit, which will highlight some of the amazing work being done in Cajon Valley School District and beyond from March 23rd to 25th in San Diego. Come to learn what schools, districts, and policy can do to build an equitable and effective pathway for the world of work. Register today at the link in the show notes. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm New Pathways Senior Fellow, Trace Pickering, and today I'm joined by Al O'Bannon. Al is the Executive Director of the LBA Foundation in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and is a Certified School Counseling Leadership Specialist, recognized by the American School Counseling Association. Al has over 20 years of experience with nonprofit organizations. Al, great to see you today. Great to see you also, Trace. All right. Well, appreciate you joining me. Um, for some context for our audience, Al and I have been working together since I founded Iowa Big, and he had founded the LBA Foundation, and we'd known each other several years before that, I believe. Um, Al is an active agent who seeks to remove barriers and create a truly inclusive community where everyone can thrive. The LBA Foundation works with all students, but most specifically any student who does not have the resources, support, and or the experiences to be successful in school and life. Uh, Al, first off, I think uh, it'd be great for you to, to kind of share the LBA story. You know, how, how did it come to be? How did you decide that the LBA Foundation was needed in our community? And, and just kind of give us that, that origin story. Sure, Trace, thanks. Well, you know, it started uh, back, uh, we were running an AAU basketball program. And we started to uh, really look at underserved kids and kids that just didn't have the opportunity to use basketball as a tool. And when I say as a tool is bringing in discipline, structure, teamwork, and those things that you develop from being a part of a team. Well, when one time we were there at the gym and the coaches told me the kids weren't listening, so I took away the basketball. And the first thing they said is I want to quit. I'm just leaving. I don't want to be here. And I took from there to show them a basketball and I asked them what was inside the basketball. And they thought it was pretty funny that I asked that question (laughs) and they thought it was just air. They said, maybe there's a needle floating around in there. And when I looked into their eyes, they were honestly giving me answers that they knew. And that really struck me that they have not had the opportunity to utilize those tools that come with sports, that come with a basketball. So we decided we would uh, develop a program called Leaders, Believers and Achievers. It actually started at LBA Foundation as just an organization, and then it turned into a 501c3. We started with 12 kids that were all part of our basketball team at that time. Now we're at over 600 kids in the program. We started as an after-school, after-school program. And what I mean by that is not right after school, but we had a safety net from six to eight where kids can come and be a part of a program because they wouldn't be in the streets. They wouldn't be anywhere they're not supposed to be. They would be somewhere where there was structure and discipline. There, we really found out how much kids wanted structure and discipline. When we as adults would always say, they don't want structure, they don't want discipline. Most kids are begging for it because a lot of places that they can't get it. And so we started there. And as I said, you know, then we developed into a after-school program. So from 3.30 to 5 and then from 6 to 8. Um, and then we get we are now in an in-school program where we have over seven classes during the week, uh, different classes during the week that we have uh, 
We do our leadership and our CR Dreams curriculum, which is based on four pillars, the four pillars of having a purpose, having a flight plan, having a dream. We call it CR Dreams, having a dream where you can really get into the flight plan that takes you to people that are going to surround that you're going to surround yourself with. And then the vision board research says if they can't see where they're going, they're really not likely to get there. And we always talk about that three block radius. You know, they stay in that three block radius. And when we think about it, we think about that physical three block radius. It's a mental three block radius. They have to be able to see these things that they don't see. An example is, you know, last year we started a lawn mowing club because we had kids that would see that live in apartments that would see a guy that comes and mows the grass all the time. So that lawnmower wasn't for them. So just to get into starting a lawnmower and pushing a lawnmower, a lot of things that most of us take for granted because we've, you know, we were told to go mow the lawn, (laughs) you know? And so, but these kind of little things that just keep coming up. And I always say we we've developed all, almost everything we have based on listening to 12 year olds. Nice. That's a, that's a, major pivot from uh, being a guy who's providing some opportunities for AAU basketball and teaching kids how to how to be better players to um, just be better humans and recognize their self-worth and how did is that something you had always been doing through basketball and you just saw more opportunity or how did that how did that morph well the beauty of what, about what I do trace is I lived it this is exactly what was given to me and so as I as I grew into it, I it just started coming back to me. My older brother, Rick, and my older brother, Larry, would say to me these things, you know, this is more than basketball. This is life. And these kind of things that, you know, most of our kids don't get to hear. You know, we hear a lot of kids that don't even, you know, don't even get to hear the word goal. So the beauty about what I do at LBA is it's been a part of my life. So I'm just like reliving it or giving it back to those youth that we just don't see in our community. And whatever reason, I see a lot of communities have been broken up, whether it be from mentors that have left or and came back or whatever it is, found another family situation to be in. And there was just a huge gap when we started. And I went back to some of the guys that, uh, you know, I grew up with. And I said, where is this in our in our in our community? And it just wasn't there anymore. So we really wanted to see because we we have great numbers of individuals in our city that have been successful due to the the impact that mentors had before us and rolled it down. And that's, that's just a part of what I lived. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just to the point of, I'm giving it back. Nice. Very nice. So um, with that, can you just share, you know, one or two success stories? I know you've got more than you can count, but just, you know, one or two that kind of highlight what you've been able to, uh, what kind of impact you've been able to have in our community. Well, um, as, as you spoke earlier, you know, we, we accept all kids. Um, one of the things that our school district wanted us to do was was really get into uh, and heavy into the at risk youth. Well, when we had when we started that, we really understood that all kids are at risk. I mean, shoot, I'm still at risk at my age at some point, some point in time. But, you know, what we did was, you know, when we started to develop that, there's all kind of individuals that come out of that because they're able to create their own path. So I'll give you an, uh, a kid named Max Dark, who is a kid that a- actually does well, 4.5 grade point. You know, he wanted to be part of LBA and we brought him in as a mentor because what we found out was eighth graders learn better from eighth graders. 
when you bring in mentors that have been out of school and it's not the way they're being taught right now, it's hard for a kid to take that learning and then go into the classroom and apply that learning. You know, so we wanted an eighth grader. So he stood, he took up in sixth grade. He really stepped up. Well, where that led Max was to $21,000 of scholarship money in the leadership program at Ohio State. Um, and as we know, you know, Ohio State's a pretty expensive school. So it was a big it was a big leap for him. But it gave him his story that he could go tell Ohio State. And then on another end, we have we have a we have a female. Um, her name is Deja. Deja. Uh, you know, came for came to us after several altercations with the law, with school officials, with a lot of things that were going on. Um, and she was also homeless. Um, there was a day that she decided that she was not going to be homeless anymore over one word that we said that she could be whatever she wanted to be. She had never heard that before. So now Deja is uh, is a is a uh, marketing director in Chicago, Illinois. And so uh, there's been some great things that go on there. Um, and then, you know, in the athletic field, we always had athletes. So, you know, as m- most of us know, we have a, we have a gentleman now playing for the Sacramento Kings named Keegan Murray. And we also have Orion Vance uh, over at Ohio- Iowa state, hopefully going to be, uh, in the, uh, in, in the NFL. And then we have a Zion Williams, who's down at Troy university, who has had plenty of looks, um, uh, and is actually playing in his first bowl game this Friday in Orlando. Nice, nice. Those are uh, nice, broad representation of the different kinds of um, success stories I know you've you've had, um, and I've I've got to witness this firsthand, um, being being a friend of yours. But I know this is amazingly empowering work. It's very difficult, time consuming, and I know you've had some major challenges and heartbreaks when an LBA, uh, a young LBA student, ends up uh, in a fatal situation and and that. So. I've, Talk to me about how, how you're able to manage that, because I know how close you get to these kids and how much each one means to you. How, how do you how do you deal with that other side when they, they end up making decisions that you really wish they wouldn't have made and, and it may even cost them their life? Yeah, you know, it, it was it, it was tough, you know, um, you know, just to give a little history here. You know, in the 12 years that we've had, I've done, you know, 12 eulogies of kids that are under the age of 18 years old. And, you know, I, I, it really struck me that my brother, I went to my brother and he came back and he said, you know, Al, you really have to get it in your mind that it's not, you're not going to save them all. It's about saving the ones you can. And that really put me in a feel good situation that, you know, he was exactly right. But that's what my goal was. My goal was to get every kid on the right path that I could. It just wasn't possible. Um, and until he told me that, I didn't know it wasn't possible. So we really focus on when we focus on kids, we really want to focus on their passions and what they're really going, you know, getting in, want to get into. And so some of that is just from going back to what I spoke about earlier is those those mentors that are still around for me that I can still turn to, which I call we call my cloud, you know, and I had to turn to them or I would have never got out of that funk because I was ready to quit. But that was one word I taught kids never to do. So that was something I couldn't do. So I had to go to the people that helped me be who I am to get me through those kind of things. Nice. So um, from your perspective, and you've you've seen hundreds and hundreds of kids, thousands of kids come through your program. What are the current what currently what are the greatest barriers and and the challenges that 
the young people that you work with, and I'm sure that are fairly representative kids around the country, uh, that they face today? What what are the barriers and challenges that uh, stand in front of them, and what maybe point to a few things that have worked? I know your CR Dreams is is having a big impact as well. Yeah, you know, and Tracy, you know, you and I have discussed this many a times. You know, we have to go where the kid is at. And a lot of times we say that, but then we go where they're at and we, you know, we, we walk them to somewhere and then we stop walking them. It's the continuation of continuing to put them in situations to be successful. And this is why, you know, we've talked a lot about learner-centered learning is because a lot of these kids will make it. They learn, they can be taught and they are teachable, but it's about, sometimes it's about how we are going about it. And I I remember a couple of times back uh, in middle school, you know, we had a kid um, and he said, you know, he just can't add. I said, he he can't, he can multiply. He can't add. He can do these things related to football because that's what he knows. And then let it transition to the book. But if you put the book in front of him, the automatic fear factor is there where it's not, not going to happen. And when you have kids that don't read very well, that don't, that don't write very well, um, you know, that's the that's one of the biggest barriers we have to overcome is how do we get them to read? How do we get them to write? So that's not a barrier when they first walk in the door. So when you ask them to write down a goal, they, the first thing they want to do is they want the bathroom pass because they they maybe can't spell words. You know, so how do we get around that to get them to, to get them there? And so the biggest challenges we have right now are just, you know, being able to be connected with them as much as possible. We talk about it all the time in our staff is that, you know, the streets work 24-7. The the people that are there in the streets that do the things that they do, they're always looking, recruiting, offering, and everything else. You know, so we have to compete against things that these kids are walking into as they walk home, as they walk to the park, as they walk anywhere else, and instill and try to instill what we are doing so when they see those things come up, they can walk away from them. But it's a challenge because, as I said, you know, that that operation is a 24-7 operation. If we could have the kids for 24-7, which I don't think I'd want that to happen, you know, it would it would, it would definitely uh, be, be an advantage to us also. Yeah, well, and then, too, it's, you're fighting against that natural human instinct to go for the short-term reward versus the long-term, and you're offering a, a long-term positive rewards. So imagine that, that factors in as well. So you've, uh, you know, this getting smart podcast listened to by lots of educators and you've become an important part of the local school district. Um, like you were saying earlier, moving it from an after school and an evening program. And now you're, you're actually in classrooms. Um, you know, have you have class periods that you teach, teach kids your CR dreams curriculum and work with them. Um, can you talk about the the part what that partnership looks like and um, what you're what you're trying to help the schools do uh, from your because I think it's important for schools to understand how important organizations like yours are if they invite them into the school. Yeah, the first thing is uh, what I appreciate about our school district, the Cedar Rapids Community School District, is the true collaboration and the 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 word I'm I'm emphasizing here is true. Uh, we have a lot of people that want to collaborate, that say they want to do these things, this, that, or the other. But we have the freedom to do exactly what we want to do in our classrooms with the CR Dreams curriculum, which is build kids up to prepare them for the next class that they're going to 
or the next or the next opportunity that they're going to. And so we're always speaking with teachers. We're always looking for emails. We're always looking for collaboration on how a kid is working with that kid. How are we doing with them? You know, one of the things the teachers come to us and say, you know, we can't believe you got all these kids in this class and there's no issues here. Well, there's no issues because they're focused on them. So how do we get their other academics to focus on them? You know, a lot of times, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but a lot of times we want them to focus on academics. But if they don't know, how do they focus? But if they know something about themselves and know what academics would mean to them if they got through the things that we're asking them to do, that's a whole different ballgame because they're looking at it, what it does for them, not what it does for to graduate, not that it does because mom said or teacher said, it's what it does for them. And so the collaboration has been awesome. We've actually stepped into that now if a kid uh, doesn't want to take an ensemble, then they, they could actually take uh, LBA as a leadership class and uh, work on work on who they are and what they're trying to do. The challenge, again, also is, is always, you know, once we once we have them leave the door, can, will they take this with them to the next spot they're going to? And so that's where we get teachers more involved with teachers where, you know, it's not a threat. It's what it is. You know, if you're not working on you everywhere you go, you're really not part of the LBA program. You're just part of the class. We want you to be part of the program, which is developing you. And so we have we ask teachers to ask them, you know, what are you learning at LBA? Why why aren't you applying those skills here in this class? You know, if a kid's having behavior issues, you know, and we've seen kids straighten up because the first thing that we do is the purpose statement. And that is what do you like to do and what do you want to do? And all that is is accountability from there. So if a kid is getting into an argument every day, you know, or, or being a comedian in class, but they wanted to be an architect, you know, we try to tell them, hey, change your change your purpose. If you want to be a comedian, you know, let's do this. But if you want to be an architect, then sit down and learn the math that you're going to need in order to be an architect. But that's that's not us telling them what to do. That's them telling us what they want to do. Gotcha. Yeah, and I've, I've uh, seen you and your staff do this before um, to that point of what is it you want to do and be. And, you know, so many young people are like, well, I want to be a professional basketball player, or professional football player. And I love the way you put that back on the kids. But I'd love for you to just kind of share with our audience. So I'm that kid and you ask me what I want to do. I'm like, Al, I, I want to be a professional basketball player. What what do you do for me? How, how, does, how do you convert that into um, action for me? Well, first of all, you know, we're really honest with them. If they want to really be a professional basketball player, these are the things that you're going to need to do. So first of all, we give them a, either a Stephen Curry or a Kobe Bryant workout, and we let them see how much they want it. And usually most kids don't make it through that workout. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then we also, it opens opportunities for us to start asking questions, like how many jobs are in the NBA? Do you have to be a basketball player to be in the NBA? Can you be a coach? Can you be a referee? Can, you know, there's all kind of opportunities that they don't see because they're only looking at it from a player standpoint. But then you open up that opportunity and they start going, oh, yeah, I might want to do this. I might want to do that. And then you start to slide in. Well, this is why math is important. This is why English is important. You know, and you start to slide in those things. And before they know it, they're not even they're not even concentrating on whether it's English or math. They're concentrating on where they want to try to get going to. But the beauty about that is with experiences, as you know, Trace, the more they experience, the more their minds open up going back to that, you know, that 
that physical three block mental three block radius that we've talked about. And the more their minds open up, then they want to be a high school referee. Then they want to be a coach in somewhere else. And then now, now not the not that the NBA is not there, but we also go through the truth. You know, in this room right now, Trace, zero of us are going to the NBA. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, I want you to still keep striving for it. But the statistics say that none of us in here are going. You know, and and, it, and, and it, that's just real talk that we want them to know because we don't want them to think that because they're part of the program or they're part of doing the things that they, that they're going to end up in the NBA because that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah, that's what I. I'm glad you. That's why I really wanted you to share that story. The um, I love it. it. Kind of falls into the philosophy of our program as well. It's like, how do you say yes to these kids? I want to be an NBA player. Great. All right. Here's the workout you have to do. Here's kind of the nutrition. And uh, put it back on them, and then, like like you said, you know, uh, most most people, adults' response would be, "Oh, you want to go to the NBA? Do you realize you have almost no chance of going? That's why you need to know how to do math and reading so you can get a job." That's a that falls flat, you know. When you the way you describe it, here's what you need to do to be an NBA player, and here's the math and English that that puts a whole different mental framework around learning, which is fantastic. Well, you could also use a lot of that for, again, the accountability piece. I talk to teachers a lot about this. He wants to be in the NBA. You know, I mean, one of the things you can say to him is that if your, your listening skills are very important and very difficult. You have to work on this every day. And if you're not going to be able to listen to a teacher, what makes you think you're going to listen to a coach? Because we're creatures of habit. And so it, it's authority that you're not listening to. So if you're not going to listen to the teacher, you're just not going to be able to flip a switch and start listening to a coach. And I'm talking about listening, not hearing. And kids start to understand that, you know, that hearing is just a noise and listening is the comprehension of what you're trying to accomplish. Nice. So I think you've said this in a couple of different ways, but I I just want to reiterate or confirm what I'm hearing that uh, some of the biggest barriers that the kids have is it it's, it's is it fear that they can't do it or is it that they they can't see a, a positive future so i can't see it so i don't know how to do it is that is it kind of a combination of those things where that cause kids to to kind of hesitate or not want to move forward or well you know it's 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 sometimes really simple you know the word quit you know you just can't quit so we make sure they understand that uh but what number one word is nothing you know, you ask a kid, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? Nothing. Well, that's just not possible. You can't do nothing. You know, uh, I remember uh, my our partner, Carrie, and the guy said, uh, you know, I just want to lay on the couch when I grow up and just, you know, just do that. He goes, OK, well, you got to have a real hard drive to just be able to lay on the couch for the rest of your life or you have nothing. You know, you won't have anything. And uh, I think the kid really woke up that, you know, that's just not possible. But I think some of it is just the fear of the unknown. You know, what you don't know, you just don't know. And some kids, like I said, going back to the lawnmower, you know, if a kid lives in an apartment and we've had this kid before that generations of family have never had a car. They've never had a lawnmower. They don't know they can get a driver's license. They don't know that they can actually have credit to go get a car. They don't know they don't have to work at not that it's a bad place, but Wendy's, they can work anywhere they want to go. They can have a driver's license. They can have a lawnmower. They can have a lawn. But until you expose them to those things, 
that they've only seen for generations. I mean, we have parents that come back to us when we started the lawnmowing business, and they didn't know that that could lead to landscaping. They didn't know what they connected to here, there, or the other as being an entrepreneur. So, you know, it's no knock on anyone, but what you don't know, you just don't know. Right. Very nice. I uh, want to shift gears here a bit. I, I know in the in the last several years, um, you've spent more time at the community level, recognizing that our community, like many others, are struggling with uh, diversity and inclusion and making this a safe and productive place for everybody. Um, and, and you've dove into that. You didn't have to. Um, what? Why was it important for you? What, what did you see and why was it important for you to put some energy into not just the, the kids in the community, but changing our whole community's uh, frame? Well, it goes back to what people don't know. They just don't know. I, uh, I did a I did a conference out in uh, Seattle and I I wrote a uh, I wrote a speech or wrote a program based on what they should know or why don't they know and. I lost the crowd about halfway through and we were talking about that sense of belonging. Well, there's another part of sense of belonging and that's a sense of welcoming. So you can, you can tell people all day long that you belong, but people, people sense things that that's not really true. So you have to, so I had to go back and think about how do I get people to understand or have the knowledge of welcoming where people do feel like they belong. You know, because saying it is just going through the motions, you know, or checking the box. You know, we told them to come down here. Well, did you find out if they had a ride? Did you find out, you know, anything else about them, you know? And so, you know, it's that sense of welcoming. So as, as I got to going and everything and people were using that sense of belonging everywhere I went, we really want a sense of belonging. We really want people to know that they belong here. Well, then you have to understand how to welcome people. And so we went through several scenarios, which we call LBA engage engagement. Uh, we did some uh, professional learning with the Cedar Rapids Community School District. And then we have a couple corporations that were really getting people to, you know, step outside because there's still a fear factor. You know, uh, I'll go back to an, the incident of George Floyd when, you know, several of my white friends came to me and said, you know, hey, you know, what do we do? And I said, what I'm going to ask you to do, you're probably not going to do because, it's not comfortable for your circles. You you may have to go to the country club and start talking about things that you normally don't speak about. You might have to go home and do these things. So you're going to have to figure out how you implement your thoughts and where you want to be with all of this. Not everyone's going to be 100 miles an hour. Some people are just going to be one mile an hour. But the change is what we're talking about. And it really struck them and struck me that, you know, when I looked into the audience that, you know, there was no sense there. So when you ask even adults at this time, so you talk about the fear factor, possibly see our dreams. What is your purpose? I mean, adults grab the bathroom sign, too. You know, <laughs> they're, ready, they're ready to go out of there also. You know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, with everything that's been kind of changing in life, you know, you, you can't send our I can't send our kids to a place where they've been in our program for six years. And I say, go to such and such corporation because they're looking for people and opportunity, there's opportunities for you to have employment. And then the person goes there and comes back and tells me they're not interested in me. You know, 
you know, and so we really have to have we really have to help each other where we've never been before. Usually it's, you know, I, I remember the uh, couple of weeks ago where a guy said, I'm really going to get this job at this corporation. I said, yeah. And he's got dreads. He said, I'm going to cut my hair. I said, you're going to go as you. You're not going to cut your hair. If you cut your hair, you're going to go in there and you're going to be nervous and everything else. Just based on the fact that you're trying to show them somebody that you want, they you think they want to see instead of who you are. You know, and then on the other side of it, when I speak to human resource uh, people at corporations, I have to I have to help them understand that. You know, you you there's some people that think the word rap is so negative that you can't even mention it in an interview. You can't even say I like to do rap. Well, rap's a form of poetry, you know, and not everyone goes out and uses the words that you're not supposed to use. Some people really do this very well in another way. But people on the other side just don't understand that because of what they see, not what they know. Right. Yep. They, they project onto those things like, yeah, uh, like I've got a daughter with tattoos and and she was always conscious during interviews to cover them up. You know, just because whatever connotation they, the person across the desk might think. And so those mindsets have to definitely change for sure. Um, Al, uh, as always, great talking with you. Um, I'm excited. I got the opportunity to share your story with a larger audience. And uh, I think it's important for schools and educators to know that there's help out there and there's people willing to to step up and do some things that are a little bit outside the box uh, that we need to get done. So I appreciate your efforts and it's always, uh, it's been good to have you in our community. So, well, I appreciate that Trace. And I'll just leave you with this. There is no more thinking outside the box. There is no more box. <laughs> That's right. I remember you, yep, you say that a lot. <laughs> there is no box anymore. So let's just get to it. Thanks for tuning into the getting smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 